Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 68 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is We Are On Our Own, an interview with Shona Curley. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is Shona Curley. Shona Curley is a 45-year-old woman from San Francisco, California. She owns a Pilates studio that focuses on rehabilitative work and is the mother of two children. In 2014, Shona Curley discovered a small tick on her stomach. After seeking medical help, she was told she didn't need to be concerned about any care unless she found a rash or suffered a fever. Shona Curley experienced neither. A year later, she began to exhibit the symptoms of a tick disease. She started to experience constant flu-like symptoms, panic attacks, and GI issues. She often called in sick to work, spent weeks in bed, and was forced to miss out on parenting time with her children. Consequently, her husband faced added familial responsibilities due to her developing illnesses. Two years after initially seeking help, Shona Curley made an appointment with a Lyme specialist and tested positive for Lyme disease. Since then, she has paid for every treatment she has done out of pocket, including IV antibiotics, ozone therapy, and the Buner Herbal Protocol. Shona Curley's lifestyle changed as a result of her Lyme. She now balances work part-time with motherhood. She also has recorded a meditation album, The Cell's Breath, on Apple Podcasts in an effort to help others on their Lyme disease journey. Hey, Shona Curley, and welcome to the program. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We're really blessed to have you, and we thank you for taking time away from your family so that you can share your tick disease experience with our listeners. Can you introduce yourself to our audience? Can you share with our audience where you live and what your family situation is? I live in San Francisco with my husband and my two kids, who are 11 and 9 and currently making French toast in the kitchen. <laughs> and... I, let's see, I'm 45, almost 46. I'll turn 46 in December. And I own a Pilates studio in San Francisco where we focus on rehabilitation work. And now I'm doing some work with people with Lyme. Now, can you share with us when you began to show the symptoms of what you now know to be your tick disease? I think <laughs> it's a little, my memory of it is all a little bit murky and it's a little hard to be exactly precise, but I believe I was bitten in 2014 and started showing symptoms in 2015. And when you say that you were bitten in 2014, did you discover a tick biting you? I did. I pulled a tick out of my stomach, a tiny, tiny little, almost invisible nymph tick. And I was a good girl and called the hospital and said, should I save this tick? Should I bring it into you for testing? Should I get tested for Lyme right away? Should I do a course of antibiotics right away as a prophylactic? And they said, nope, not unless you get a bullseye rash or a sudden fever, in which case call us back. And to my knowledge, I didn't have a sudden fever. I never got a rash for sure. So I blew it off. What was your tick awareness at that time? Were you aware? Very of low. Very I mean, low. very low. I knew, my kids had both had tick bites, although they were dog ticks. Like, I didn't know the difference between a dog tick and a deer tick at that time. I didn't, you know, I, I really just didn't know much about it. I knew that when my daughter was bitten, which was, she was bitten by a dog tick, that the hospital wanted me to bring it in and they tested it for Lyme and co-infections, which is funny because it was a dog tick. But then by the time I got bitten by a deer tick, they were no longer testing ticks at that hospital unless you showed signs like a rash or a fever. As time went on, you, you find the tick biting you, you, you remove the tick, you seek the advice that you sought, and unfortunately got the bad uh, advice that you had received. How did your symptoms begin to develop? I completely forgot about the tick bite. Like, honestly... I didn't even think it was an issue at all because I completely believed the hospital. I was like, sweet, it's not an issue. I didn't get a rash. I didn't get a fever. I wasn't, that tick bite was no longer even in my mind. 
after a couple weeks. You know what I mean? I just absolutely bought the storyline <laughs> that I got from the hospital. So, and you know, I had two very young kids. They were, I'm going to guess like three and five ish at that time without doing the math in my head, which would take me a minute. <laughs> so they were little and I was running my business full time and the kids were in daycare and possibly kindergarten, the older one, um, or at least preschool for both of them. So we had endless colds coming through the house. We had endless runny noses. You know how kids will just like swipe their hand across a snotty nose and then just like wipe it on the wall. Like there was just nasty germs everywhere. And all of us had colds during the wintertime. So I didn't, first of all, it's really hard for me to look back and say at what point my symptoms were Lyme related. Because at the time, I wrote them all off as not getting enough sleep, working too hard, trying to deal with two kids, and the kids bringing home bugs from preschool. So it took maybe a year, a year and a half before I started to feel like, why am I sick all the time? Like, why do I never not have a cold? Or if I don't have a cold, it's, I don't have a cold for like two days, and then I get another one. Like, that's, it was at least a year post-tick bite before... I started to feel like, okay, this isn't normal. Like what's, what's going on? You know? So I, and at that point I got some homeopathic treatments. I started taking some, you know, immune boosting mushroom tablets and taking more echinacea and stuff like that. Just, but it took me a long time before I started to have like a, a deep sense in my body that I was very unwell. I mean, it took at least a year and a half post tick bite before that really started to happen. And all throughout that year and a half, I was fighting viruses. And I actually think that the fact that I was fighting those viruses and that the kids were little and that I was running a business and not sleeping so well at night with getting up and down with the kids, I think that did contribute to being susceptible to Lyme. So I think there very much was an overlap where one was the same as the next in a way. Like all of those different pathogens were sort of lowering my immune response and were all a part of my symptom picture. But it really took like a solid year and a half before I was like, oh, okay, I'm scared. You know, it took me a while to get scared. So Shona, how, how were these developing symptoms impacting your capacity to parent your children, to run your business, to, to be a, you know, the wife that you wanted to be? How, how were these developing symptoms impacting you? Well, it took a while before I slowed down, right? Like at first I just powered through it and did everything I would ordinarily do even though I would have these, you know, increasingly scary symptoms in the middle of a long work day or in the middle of being at dinner or, or taking the kids to a fair or whatever, I ignored it. I pushed through it. I thought that my body would just, you know, I wrote it off as like, well, I'm a mom of two kids and I'm busy and an entrepreneur and this happens to everybody. <laughs> it, it took, a, a good, again, a year and a half before I started being forced to stay in bed and skip weekends away with the family or stay home from work. I mean, and that, at that point, that was when I started getting scared. But again, my symptoms were pretty much mostly just flu-like. So I still thought at that point that it was just that I was, had adrenal fatigue and lowered immunity and was really susceptible to these viruses that were coming through because the kids would get sick too. It wasn't just me, you know, it was like, it wasn't only me that would catch a cold. It was just me that would have to stay in bed for two weeks at a certain point. Like everybody else would be up and around after a day. But it, again, that made it difficult for me to understand that there was something different going on in my body than there was in the rest of the family. 
So share with us now when you finally came to the conclusion that you were much sicker and what did you do as a consequence of recognizing that your symptoms were different than everyone else's? Well, I started with the conventional hospital and that was just an absolute blank. Like I just hit, I couldn't believe how little they cared. Like I just, I went in and saw my primary care doctor who seemed like a nice person and started crying because I was like, I'm not functioning. I'm not, I get flu after flu after flu. I'm only well for maybe a day in between. This isn't normal. It isn't right. Like I have been a very high functioning person for my whole life. Like something's wrong. And she was looking at her paperwork or the computer and not at me. And she dismissed me after 15 minutes and basically was like, we'll run some lab work. The lab work came back normal. And that was the end of that. She just, that was it. She she gave me some sleeping meds and a Zoloft and referred me to a GI specialist who, again, like ran some labs, told me I was healthy and dismissed me. Like just the lack of concern was what was so mind boggling to me. And the fact that I felt like, are you just not hearing what I'm saying? Like this, this is not normal for me. Something's wrong. And they were like, yeah, sorry. Sorry. You don't feel well. Like it was really it was really a, just a dead end, like a brick wall. So after that, I saw an acupuncturist slash naturopath who, again, didn't believe in Lyme, had had a bullseye rash himself and had never gotten sick because I was bringing up the tick bite because I was, you know, I was bringing everything up. I was, and I did get, I got the ELISA test through my hospital and it came up negative. So they dismissed Lyme. And again, I believed them, not knowing that the testing was flawed at the point, at that point. I want you to talk to us about whether your family and friends and coworkers were starting to doubt whether or not you were really sick or whether there was something else going on. Were people losing patience with you constantly being sick? The only person, honestly, who was losing patience with me was my husband because he was getting saddled with so much of the work with the kids. And at that point, they were so little that it was really hard. So... I think it was frustrating for him, not just because I was incapable of really pitching in, but also because nothing was changing and because the hospital was telling me, your tests are normal, you're okay. He was like, look, if you just get out of bed and go like exert yourself, you're going to feel better. And I was trying to convince him that actually that made me feel worse. But it was just hard. I mean, he's he has the kind of personality of just pushing through if he gets sick he just goes to work anyway, you know? <laughs> so to see me staying in bed for weeks at a time and calling in sick to work and, you know, it just was really tough for him to accept at first. But I didn't really get that response from anybody but him, but he was really the only person that I was like letting down in terms of participation in the workload that's raising two children, you know? How did you feel about the medical community failing to properly diagnose you as it related to you having the ability to explain to your husband what was going on? Well, I didn't really get angry until I did get diagnosed, right? So initially, I was stymied, but I wasn't angry because I just didn't get it. I just, you know, I didn't know what was going on either. And so, and that, that first naturopath slash acupuncturist that I saw, he didn't know what was going on either. He was treating me for adrenal fatigue, treating me for low immunity. But that was, you know, I didn't expect the hospital to be able to diagnose either of those things. You know, I come from an alternative medicine background, so I wasn't expecting support on that level from the hospital. And when the naturopath was also like, oh, no, Lyme is not a thing, and you just have adrenal fatigue, which every young mom 
can develop. My, you know, my second kid really didn't sleep till he was eight, 18 months. So <laughs> it was easy for me also to just be like, I'm just really run down. And that's the message I was getting on all fronts. So it wasn't until a full two years after I started looking for help when I, and I kept getting worse. And I finally found a Lyme specialist who finally diagnosed me within like five minutes of speaking to me on the phone. He ordered the test and the test came back positive. It wasn't until then that I felt angry. Shona, do you believe that the medical community was failing you in part because you were a woman and you were a young mother and that they were writing off so many of your symptoms to your gender and your status as a mother rather than validating how you really felt? You know, sure. But I've spoken to plenty of men who were invalidated, too, you know, so I, f I feel like people invalidate you on whatever they can grab onto if they have no idea what's going on with you, whether you're gay, straight, female, male, like they're going to find some way to be like, you're just nutty. <laughs> so sure, they had an easy out with me. But honestly, I feel like the people that I saw at the hospital were doing the best they could within the paradigm that they're working in. They were... All they're trained to do is dole out pharmaceuticals and do testing. And they did the best they could within that paradigm for me. It just didn't have anything for me. They did not have a diagnosis. They did not have a treatment for me. So there was nothing they could do. So it's a failure on a massive scale worldwide. I mean, I think the only country that I know of that's really doing a good job with Lyme is Germany, right? So if we don't live in Germany, it's a worldwide lack of understanding of stealth pathogens and how they manifest in the body. So I don't, at this point, I don't take it personally. It's just, it's a changing time that stealth pathogens themselves are evolving. And it's only the people on the forefront of medicine who are really smart, who understand it. I mean, I think it was easy to blow me off because I'm a, I was a young mother, but I think they blow everybody off because they just have no idea. I'd like to explore that with you a little bit further. Why do you believe doctors in the traditional community like to use whatever it is that they're going to define as the vehicle for invalidating people rather than trying to explore other options? Because they don't have the training or expertise to explore other options. Honestly, unless you're seeing somebody who is a researcher or a specialist and who's outside of the mainstream, like, the, you know, the people that I went to see initially in the conventional medical system, they had 15 minutes to spend with me. They had a certain panel of tests that they were authorized to run on me, and they had a certain panel of pharmaceuticals that they were authorized to offer me based on the test results. That's it. That's all the training they have. They're not trained to look deeper. They're not trained to do further research. That's not their job, honestly. They're pharmaceutical dispensaries based on the testing that the insurance companies will cover them running on you, you know? So we, we can't expect anything more from them at this point until at a, like a higher bureaucratic level, the testing improves and the treatment options improve. It's not going to get any better. And that, you know, it sucks for the 4 million Americans that have Lyme disease at this point. We are on our own, essentially. We need to pay out of pocket for specialists who have the time and capacity to do deeper research and who charge us out of pocket for the treatments that actually work. That's our only option right now. And so, I mean, it's a, it just is a bad time to get a tick bite. <laughs> but I, I, I do believe it will change. I think it might take another 20 years, but I do believe that 
people getting bit by ticks in 20 years will have better options than we have at this moment. Sean, if you had to say, how much money do you think you've spent on your Lyme disease treatment above and beyond what your insurance covers? Uh, so my insurance covered nothing. So absolutely everything is spent out of pocket. And are you including the lost income from not being able to work full-time for the last five years? Absolutely. Hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Cause I've been working for a while. I couldn't work at all. And I'm only back to half time now. And every single treatment I've ever gotten, I've paid for in full out of pocket. And Shona, above and beyond the flu and the, the typical sickness that you were having early on, what additional symptoms did you get as your disease progressed? Anxiety, sound sensitivity, panic attacks, racing heart rate, intense extreme chronic GI upset, nausea, diarrhea. I lost 20 pounds, fatigue, weakness, you name it, the gamut, the Lyme gamut. Did I didn't get pain. That was the one thing I didn't get. Maybe because I don't think I have Bartonella. But yeah, I didn't get pain. Did any Western doctor ever think Lyme disease? No. Did any Western doctor ever give you a diagnosis that you felt was actually accurate? No. So now that you've been going to all these doctors, it sounds like you've gone to a variety of specialists. What brought you to your Lyme litter doctor that you found who was your naturopath? Absolute luck and intuition, like luck, honestly. I mean, and I, I do feel lucky in that it only took me two years. I have friends, it took them 15, you know? I think, I think I got lucky. So I wound up, the first acupuncturist and naturopath that I saw was just baffled. Like he found a couple of parasites. We treated them with herbs. They went away, but I didn't believe it because I still had symptoms and I was blaming them all on the parasites. And I had all these food allergies. I could barely eat anything. And so he referred me to this guy in England. Actually, no, that's not even true. He didn't refer me. I found, I found a link online that was about the parasites that I had that led me to this guy in England. And I did a couple of Skype sessions with him because he was prescribing these like triple antibiotic doses for, I had like Diantamoeba fragilis and Blastocystis hominis. I can't believe I remember those names. But yeah, I had those weird, but I think at that point I didn't even have them anymore. I think the herbs actually worked, but I just didn't buy it. Cause, and, and there was this link online that was like, these are, and I think the person that created the link probably actually had Lyme herself because <laughs> she had been trying to treat these bacteria and having like all of the Lyme symptoms and nothing was working. And she referenced this doctor in England. I wound up speaking to him. He was an allergist. And he recommended that I go on the LDA injection therapies for food allergies. Low-dose antigen, I think it's short for, LDA. I researched it and I found a clinic that was within walking distance of my house that offered it. So the first, and the first naturopath that I saw there was not Lyme literate, did not think I had Lyme. I spent another six months trying to treat allergies and thyroid with her, which is pretty much a waste of time but she shared the office with a Lyme specialist. And it was just absolute luck that one day I ran into him in the hallway and, you know, not being in the world of conventional medicine where you don't even make eye contact with somebody that is your patient, he, not even being my doctor, like stopped me, asked me what I was doing there, asked me if it was working for me, looked in my eyes, listened to me, like kind of I could just feel that his mind was clicking like, well, okay, well, that isn't working. Why don't, why don't you ask your naturopath about possibly taking this route? Like, he just was so smart. I could just tell he was actually, he was actually thinking, you know, and it's sad, but that's rare. 
So I wound up ditching the first naturopath and jumping over to his clinic because I just felt that he was the first person that wasn't just like, oh, but everybody's been exposed to mold. Oh, but a tick bite shouldn't result in this kind of symptomology, you know, and honestly, within the first 10 minutes of speaking to him in my first appointment, he was like, I got to watch out for seeing Lyme everywhere because I'm a Lyme specialist, but you've never had a tick bite, right? And I was like, yes, I have had a tick bite. And so immediately he ordered the test that day. And that was the beginning of actually making some progress. Shona, what's the difference between low dose antigen therapy and a vaccine? So, you know, we understand they have some commonalities, but they're really not the same thing. Well, vaccines don't treat allergies, right? So low-dose antigen therapy, as far as I understand it, and I don't understand it very well because it didn't work for me. It just flared my symptoms, so I just moved on. So I'm not well-educated in it. But my understanding is it gives you a tiny, tiny, like below homeopathic dose of the substance that you're allergic to in the hopes that over time your body starts to recognize it as not dangerous. Now that you are finally found a doctor that you really jived with and you really felt was going to help you, what were your next steps? Um, my first step was to buy Stephen Buhner's book on healing Lyme and co-infections because I had read his work before and was just so impressed with him as an herbalist and a thinker that I just knew right away that he was the, my first go-to. So I started the Buhner Herbal Protocol within like three days of getting my Lyme diagnosis. And my doctor, I, I said, what would you do if it was your diagnosis? And he said, I would do the same thing. I would try the herbs first and see what happened. So that's what I did for for like five months. I just did the Buner protocol and I actually got much better on the Buner protocol. I was able to work almost full time. Like actually I was working more then than I am now. But unfortunately, my son brought home a case of strep throat, <laughs> which flattened our whole family that winter. This was almost exactly two years ago. And I just had the worst relapse from the strep throat. My body just couldn't handle all of that at once, fighting Lyme and fighting strep. It just was a nightmare. I mean, my husband was hospitalized. Both my kids had fevers of 105. It was, it was a nightmare. <laughs> and honestly, I feel like that goes back to that picture of like having young kids and having stealth pathogens. It's just too much. Your poor body is like, dude, I can't deal with all this. It's just way too many crazy viruses and bacteria and parasites all at once. So at that point, I went on IV antibiotics. Shona, can you describe for us when you started the, the Buner protocol, were you buying these herbs individually and taking them yourself individually? I decided to, yeah. Even though I knew there were companies that sold them in packages, you know, I'm just kind of a hippie. I've made all my own tinctures. I've got drawers in my office full of soaking ginseng and astragalus right now. I've been making the tinctures ever since for the last two years. And I wanted to, I, you know, my body was really sensitive. So I didn't want to just put a pile of herbs in because then I wouldn't have known if there were one that was causing a bad reaction. And it did turn out there's one herb. Of course, it's the only herb that actually kills Lyme, the uh, andrographis, that I did have a bad reaction to. So as per Stephen Buhner's suggestion, I made all the tinctures myself and I developed kind of an intuitive dosing protocol for myself that I didn't have a bad reaction to. And that's what I'm still doing. It's a lot cheaper. If our listeners wanted to follow in your footsteps, how would they actually create these tinctures using the herbs they're procuring? 
It's not hard, honestly. It's, I mean, you can just Google how to make a tincture online. What I do is I get a big mason jar. I fill it with about one quarter of the powder, the powdered form of the herb. If you use whole leaf or whole root, you have to do like one half at least or maybe a little bit more. But if it's the powder, it's finer, obviously. So you just fill the mason jar up a quarter of the way. And then you get really good quality booze. Like I get, um, I forget the name of it, but some kind of high quality vodka. And you fill the mason jar up all the way to the very top, screw the lid on, shake it up, and leave it for eight weeks. And I actually leave it for longer so that it gets more potent. And you just have to get in there and you have to put it in a like a dark drawer or cabinet where it's not getting a whole lot of sunlight. And you have to shake it periodically so the herb disperses through the vodka. Or, I mean, you can use tequila, you can use whatever, but I've used vodka. Do you know the difference between taking dry herbs in a capsule versus making your own tincture and letting it sit yes, for a while? Yes, I do. In terms, if you take the dry herbs in a capsule, your stomach acid has to extract the phytonutrients that are active, right? The components of the herb that are active in terms of raising immunity or killing bugs or whatever. So if you have stomach acid that was as compromised as mine when I first got sick and I could barely digest a tomato, then the tinctures are a lot, although some people can't handle the alcohol in the tincture. So for me, for whatever reason, the alcohol wasn't really an issue, but digesting the capsules was. So it's just, a, for me, it was a whole lot easier on my GI to take it in tincture form. And you can get, you can buy the tinctures. Woodland Essence is a wonderful company. Mountain Rose Herbs is another really wonderful company. They both do lime tinctures and they do them in alcohol and glycerin, a non-alcoholic form. So I don't know how to make your own tinctures in glycerin. All I know is how to make them in alcohol. And because that worked for me, that's what I did. But yeah, it's a little easier on the GI to take them in tincture if you can tolerate the substrate, the alcohol or the glycerin. Once you started, I mean, it sounds like you did a lot of research and you did a lot of reading up to make your own tinctures. How did you feel just on the herbal protocol alone before you started the antibiotics? I felt great until I got strep throat. I felt better. Were you not able to bounce back after that? No, the strep knocked me to the floor. In fact, I felt worse than I ever had once I got not only did I get strep, I got it twice because it kept ricocheting through my family. Like, I think I picked it up in November. I took a course of antibiotics. And I remember at the time being like, God, what a difference. I went to the hospital and they were like, oh, you poor baby, you have strep throat. Here's a treatment for you. I was like, oh, my God, how nice. I just actually got diagnosed and treated. And the antibiotics worked, but then it cycled through my family. My husband got it, my daughter got it, and then I got it a second time. And that second case, it flattened my immune system. I was I was toast. I had to take time off work again. I had to take like a full month and a half off work. And that's when I had to start the IV antibiotics because I just couldn't bounce back. How did you feel when you first started the IV antibiotics? Scared. I was terrified. I'm a hippie. I was like, I'll never take antibiotics. Like neither of my kids have ever taken antibiotics. I've been so anti-pharmaceutical, anti-antibiotic my whole life. I'm like the girl who treats yeast infections with a garlic clove. <laughs> So to put antibiotics straight into my blood was like, I was terrified. I thought, you know, I was like, I'm going to do this for four months. I've been on them for two years now. So I really had to change all my opinions and all my, you know, prejudices had to go because the antibiotics worked for me. And you continued your herbal protocol in parallel while being on these IV antibiotics. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I intend to continue the herbal protocol forever. Has your health continued to improve over the last two yes. years while you've been on the antibiotics? 
Absolutely. But I haven't just done antibiotics. I did IV antibiotics. I did IV glutathione. I did IV lymphomyosote, which moves the lymph throughout your body and in terms of my body in particular, kind of clears blockages in the brain. And I did enormous amounts of meditation. I did the DNRS protocol. I actually recorded an album of meditation that I used for myself and then put out there to the Lyme communities that's specific for healing stealth pathogen diseases. You know, I cut way back on work. I overhauled my diet. I eliminated all sources of stress that I possibly could from, I mean, you know, like everybody else, it had to be a full on lifestyle overhaul. I had to give up that idea of like, I'm going to make these tinctures and go back to normal and accept the fact that it's a complete life change and just, you know, go with that, embrace it and embrace the drugs too and be grateful that they work for me. The IV glutathione, did that primarily help with your herxing? You know, I couldn't really say exactly. It just seemed to help overall. It just, I don't know exactly what it helped with. It just seemed to boost my strength and just make me feel better generally. The DNRS is really, I think, a neural retraining to help retrain your yeah. brain to be a pre-six state and not be stuck in that cycle of a six state. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. And can yeah. you walk us through what a session of DNRS would be like? Well, I just did the DVD training. I did not do her in-person training, and I did it as soon as I got diagnosed with Lyme. So I started actually the herbal protocol and DNRS right at the same time. And basically, her, in a nutshell, her theory is, I mean, she doesn't say that she treats Lyme. She says that she treats chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia and multiple chemical sensitivities. But since I had chronic fatigue, I was like, whatever, I'm going to give it a try. So she personally, Annie Hopper, the person that developed DNRS, she had multiple chemical sensitivities due to an overexposure to paint chemicals and other toxic chemicals. And so her theory is that that exposure injured her limbic system in the brain and so kind of switched it to this hypervigilance, hyper alert, so that any contact with any chemical, whether it's somebody wearing perfume or like a dryer vent as you walk by and you can smell the fabric softener, would she would have heart palpitations and even seizures as a result of those micro exposures to chemicals. So she developed DNRS as a way of healing the limbic system and bringing the brain back to a space where it was no longer so hypersensitive to micro exposures to whatever your trigger is. And so I, I don't think that she would say that she that you could heal Lyme with it. I've never read that in her literature. I just felt like, hey, it's going to be a good compliment because I knew my brain was so traumatized. You know, I just, I felt like I had PTSD and all the crazy anxiety that you get with Lyme. So, and you know, now in retrospect, I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't say that DNRS can heal Lyme disease. Certainly wasn't my experience that it healed my Lyme disease. It was my experience that it helped me very much get out of cycling through endless obsessive thoughts of like, what's wrong with me? What can I do? What's my protocol? What am I, what am I doing tomorrow? What if I get sicker? Like those, those horrible spiraling thoughts. I have a headache. Oh my God, I think my headache's getting worse. Like it just takes your mind and goes, we're not focusing on that. We're focusing on feelings of bliss and joy and connection and physical activity. And if you can't do it, you imagine it. And she has you spend at least an hour a day in like fully immersed imaginative 
worlds where you're generating those feelings of happiness and playfulness and laughing and dancing and, you know, celebrating with friends or whatever it is that even she'll be like, watch videos of playing kittens if that's what does it for you. Like, it doesn't matter. You just want your brain to be generating feelings of joy, however that works for you. And that helps the limbic system repattern away from fear, essentially. So you also did ozone therapy as well to help, right? I'm still doing ozone therapy, yeah. But I didn't do blood ozone. Blood ozone freaked my body out. So I just get a little IV of ozone in saline. And do you think that that's been helpful in healing you or just in treating your symptoms? I think it's been helpful in terms of healing me. It's Ozone is honestly the one thing I've ever done where as the IV drip goes in, I feel really good. It's even if I'm feeling crappy, as that thing drips into my body, I go, oh, I feel great. So I don't know why, honestly, who could say, but it's had that effect. Why were you concerned about doing blood ozone directly? I wasn't concerned. I tried it, but I wanted to commit suicide for a full week afterward. And I'm not even kidding. I had the worst brain hercs after doing blood ozone. And I was like, never. Okay, A, it's a bazillion dollars. And B, it makes me feel like I want to slip my wrists. So not an option. Is it brain hercs just an increase in your neurological symptoms? Yeah, it was just anxiety to the point where I, I just wanted to crawl out of my body. Like I couldn't stand being in my own skin. And it was like seven days before I normalized. So you also use an infrared sauna. Has that been helpful in getting- I love it. Yes, I love the infrared sauna. I just did it yesterday. Yeah. Did you actually buy one for your home? No, because there's one not far from my house that I can, it's big and I can actually do yoga lying in it. So I just, that's my routine. I go once a week. I sweat to the point where it feels like every cell has been squeezed like an orange. And it's just pure bliss. I love it. I love that sauna. The ones where you like zip yourself up in a sauna sleeping bag at home, I get that maybe that works for some people, but that sounds really claustrophobic and uncomfortable for me. How effective has CBD oil been for you? Eh, meh. I could take it or leave it. I don't like taking it internally. It bugs my belly. So I use a salve if I ever have pain. But since, I mean, the kind of pain that I have, I think is really not Lyme related. It's just, I was a dancer for 20 years and I got a funky hip. So if that flares a little, I'll use CBD oil on it and it's really helpful. But CBD internally never really did anything for me besides make my stomach upset. Have you tried medical marijuana? Yes, it makes me feel stupid and paranoid. Have you tried any other therapies? And we've talked about a lot. Is there anything that we've missed that you've tried? Well, right now, I just started doing high-dose vitamin C. And I'm hoping, actually, to transition off the IV ceftriaxone through the use of the IV vitamin C. Um, and I tried a Rife machine, my God, but that was a disaster, an unholy mess. Though I'm still, like I said when we spoke earlier, I'm really open to possible other options in terms of frequency medicine. Just the Rife machine was not <laughs> the right choice for me. <laughs> it was a disaster. Many of our guests have had success with the Rife machine. Some have had just really no reaction at all, and others have had negative reactions to it. Can you explain to us exactly how you responded negatively to it? Yeah, it felt like I unleashed a swarm of GI pathogens, like my whole gut it's usually, this is what happens to me. It's either, it's either brain or gut for me, right? Like one or the other is going to freak out if I use a treatment that doesn't resonate for whatever reason. So I borrowed a rife from a friend of mine and was like, what could go wrong? I can't even feel it. And just started like dosing myself with the anti-Lyme protocols. 
and it was it was like a, honestly like the zombies from Game of Thrones came out and attacked my gut. It was bad, <laughs> and it took a couple weeks and an energy session with this practitioner that I work with in Marin before my body settled down. Have you ever tried anything like an amp coil? I'm really curious about the amp coil, and I I just heard of a practitioner not that far from me who uses it, and I'm going to start researching it. But no, I haven't used it. So you've come a really, really long way. For the past two years since you've been diagnosed, you've been on antibiotic therapy and IV, and you've also been on the herbal therapy above and beyond all of these other things that you're doing to recover your health. How are you today? You sound great. I'm doing really well. I mean, my lifestyle is not the lifestyle that it was before I got sick, and it may never be, and I'm okay with that. I've just found, like, that, honestly, that was the hardest thing for me, is to go from being a, like, for lack of a better way to say this, like, just balls to the wall, like, never slowing down, <laughs> working full-time, running my business, coming home and cleaning the house and making dinner for the kids and, you know, taking them trick-or-treating, to now being like, I work half-time, and then I come home and I meditate, and then my kids come home, and after we help have dinner... I do another meditation session and I get nine hours of sleep every night. And if I feel bad, I take the week off work. It's just a whole different orientation towards self-care that I'm prepared to continue for the rest of my life. Like it's worth it. I'm able to do what I love in terms of working, even if it's decreased and I'm able to be a mom to my kids. That sort of gets us to the next phase of the questions that we'd like to talk with you about, which is your transformation. What we find with almost all of our guests is that although the Lyme disease journey really sucks, and they certainly wouldn't recommend it for anyone, it is something that does have some beauty. Yeah, I agree. So can you share with us how you've changed and how you're better as a consequence or better and different as a consequence of this journey? Well, the first thing that... so. My training in terms of work is in experiential anatomy, dance, and therapeutic movement. So the first thing I did when I stopped, and so, you know, my whole life in terms of stress management prior to getting Lyme was exercise. It was either dance or running or whatever, yoga, and suddenly I couldn't do any of that. So I just went deep within. Went, before I even knew I had Lyme, I started doing these kinds of meditations where I would get deep into my organs or whatever layer of my body didn't feel like it was really functioning, like the liver kidneys or the adrenals or the lymphatic system or even the pituitary thyroid adrenal ovarian complex because those were all sources for dance movement prior to getting sick for me through the work of Bonnie Babridge-Cohen and and, um, her work with experiential anatomy. So what I found was I could lie down for an hour and visualize my pituitary And instead of like lying there and freaking out about possible treatment, like this was basically my evolution of DNRS. It worked for me. It was more sustainable long-term for me than, than classical DNRS practice was this kind of deep internal embodiment meditation. It really, it worked for my body. It calmed my vagus nerve. It chilled me out. It got me deep into my cells in a way where I felt like I was affecting recovery and health instead of increasing anxiety through mental spiraling. So that I got really good at that kind of meditation. I got really good at feeling my internal systems. I did. I just did a ton of training lying in bed. I watched a ton of Bonnie Bambridge Cohen's DVDs that helped train you to do that on a deeper and deeper level. 
And then I wound up eventually producing, like I said, that album of meditations that's called The Cell's Breath that has like seven different meditations on it, each working with a different system that's affected by Lyme. And those meditations, once I recorded them professionally with a good friend, eventually, they just worked so well for me that I wound up putting them out there for the Lyme community. And that project was just so grounding and so empowering. And it, because it connected me to the whole Lyme community, it made me feel a part of something much bigger than myself. And especially now that I've read a lot of Stephen Buhner, the herbalists, writing on Lyme and co-infections, I really, I feel like I have an understanding that these stealth pathogens are going to be an enormous part of 21st century medicine and, and moving forward from there. So I feel like like I was able to help my mom identify a mold toxicity infection or whatever you might call that that she had that was really destroying her cognition. I feel like, anyway, I just I just feel so connected to humanity in a way that I wasn't prior to getting sick. And I also feel connected to my own cellular metabolism and health and on a much deeper level than I was before getting sick. Like instead of needing to go run 13 miles, I just want to get in the infrared sauna and move my thyroid and, and really start to feel like my thyroid's getting juicy and expressive and full of blood flow and oxygen. And that, that makes it possible for me to accept that my activity level has been cut in half essentially. And that that may be the way it is for me. It's, it makes it possible for me to have something that I'm doing that I care deeply about and feel personally talented in, like my life has led me up to a certain expertise within that and that I can help other people and that I can understand the evolution of medicine and my place in it and maybe what I can give back on a small level to that community. So all of those things have been an absolute blessing. And to be honest, I feel more connected and more passionate about my work than I did before getting sick. If our listeners wanted to secure a copy of your meditations, how would they go about that? It's on iTunes. You just search the cell's breath or you can look up my, I also have a website where I blog about all the different various obsessions (laughs) that I I explore with regards to healing Lyme. And my website is redkitemeditations.com. So we have one final question for you, and we're going to ask you to give one more piece of advice to the Lyme community. And that is, if God forbid tomorrow you woke up and you found yourself with another tick biting you in your stomach, what would you do? Oh my God. Well, I would pull the tick out with a pair of tweezers and put it in a Ziploc bag and send it off to testmytick.com to find out immediately what all of the pathogens were that the stupid thing was carrying, which I, you know, that's the one thing you can do that's going to save your butt, right? Just find out right away what you've been exposed to. And then I would just take that list of pathogens in to the doctor and I would take it to Stephen Buhner and I would start an herbal protocol and start whatever antibiotic or whatever other protocol my doctor suggested just right off the bat just right away. Don't waste any time. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with Shona Curley. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Shona Curley and her tick disease journey, please visit her Instagram at redkitemeditations. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by our past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. We would appreciate it if you would contact us with any suggestions you have for improvements. Fourth, 
Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episodes of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our listeners, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.